This is Prayer Amid Pandemic, a podcast to encourage and sharpen the church through telling stories of Christians whose faith were shaped by sickness and by praying with fellow believers around the world. I'm Morgan Lee. In 2014, the Ebola outbreak began in West Africa. Over the next two years, more than 11,000 people died, the majority from Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. As people struggled to adapt to the new normal brought on by the epidemic, the government and public health workers enlisted church leaders in educating their congregants about the disease. It was also evangelistic approach, wherein the young people went into villages and they actually spread the message of Christ and his redemptive love through the message of Ebola. John Jusu is originally from Sierra Leone and a missionary with the Association of Evangelicals in Africa. He's an ordained minister of the Church of the United Brethren in Christ, Sierra Leone. He is serving with the Overseas Council International as the Africa Regional Director and lives in Nairobi. It's a very lovely and hospitable country. We are very warm and we are open to strangers. The country went through 10 years of civil war and that devastated the country. We are just recovering and then we had Ebola that brought its own devastation and then the climate, flooding, mudslides. So literally those calamities coupled up with bad governance left the country in an economically very bad shape. The vibrance of Christianity has not been as strong as we could expect it to be, but overall the country is picking up. The community I grew up in is Bumpe town. Bumpe is in the Bo district of Sierra Leone's southern part of the country. It is a small farming community with roughly about 15 to 20,000 people overall in the chiefdom. It has a very strong Christian presence. The first secondary school in the region being established there. So most of us that fairly educated from that village went to those schools and we have gone back to do quite a lot for the community. When did Ebola arrive there? Well, the story I'm about to say will tell you how Ebola did not get there. And all around the place, of course, Ebola was all around the villages. But the intervention of some Christian youths, the Christian church intervention, literally protected people and gave them solace for those whose relatives died out of that community. Did you feel that Sierra Leone was ready to handle Ebola when it arrived? No, we are not in any way ready to handle Ebola. The medical facilities, we are in a very bad shape. The nurses and medical personnel, we are not trained for that job. And during the pandemic, the few that we are trained actually became casualties of the disease. It ravaged the country because, again, of wrong information. Somehow the Christian presence was not very strong and untrained nurses and a whole lot of things. And more, we didn't know what actually the sickness was like. And there was a lot of denial about what it was really. And there was a lot of mistrust between the medical personnel and the people they were trying to save. So we were not really ready to have a pandemic like that. Why was there so much mistrust? Conspiracy theories, even as now we are seeing in COVID-19, some people we are seeing is the government that has taken money from multilaterals for them to reduce the population of the black people. People we are saying the government is going to enrich itself because of Ebola. In fact, there are some places they couldn't allow the health personnel to go in there. They would throw stones at them because of that mistrust. So everything was basically a conspiracy against people of the country. All right. So I want to go back to your village. Your village hears that Ebola is out there. And how does it decide to respond? When we heard Ebola was ravaging communities around, we realized that this is a closely knit community. 
and that if Ebola was to enter that community, there was no way they are going to control it. It would just devastate everybody in there. So we started off with a young man. His name is Joseph. So Joseph started off with basic training about Ebola amongst the youth of the church. And how were the actions of the young people responded to in your community? I was in the country and I was living when the pandemic was declared as a state of emergency. This young man uh, gathered some university people and then we facilitated a process that would teach this group of university people and teachers within the church on what is Ebola and how to respond to it. So that teaching went on for a while. Then they made posters, they made t-shirts and whatever it is. They let these young people go out into their communities with a Christian message of love. They empowered the pastors. They were preaching about Ebola from the pulpit. They were praying about it. They even set up notice board wherein they were capturing all the incidents of Ebola within the country. And they would pray by that notice board, putting the courage that they had to confront this pandemic. That strategy really worked because while other villages were rejecting nurses, the ones taking the message to their people. And the message was actually couched in the gospel message of love. What does it mean to be a Christian in that pandemic? What does it mean, redefinition of who is my neighbor? Even the imams actually bought into that Christian view, and they were also now talking about Ebola in a mosque. So it was not only a reaction to a pandemic. So it was both a, a public health message and a spiritual health message. Yes, yes. And the young people did it very well. So I'm curious, how did people react to their message? Were there any people who got mad or didn't believe them? Or was there any challenges that they experienced when they were trying to share with the community? This is a community wherein they thought if they could send their children to school, their children would always give them good information and right information about everything. When I was a boy in that village, anytime a letter would come from outside, it doesn't matter who reads it to them, they won't believe it until one of their children will actually read it to them. When their own children went to tell them about Ebola, they had to believe it because that's why they sent them to school. And that is the strategy that most people did not take. Rather, they were sending strange people like nurses to talk to the people about Ebola. And because of the conspiracy, those people were not allowed in. This is not a heavy training. It's basically, what do they need to know about Ebola? How does it spread? How do they prevent themselves from it? Simple. And so they went from house to house. You know, they couldn't get the people together because that was forbidden. You can't do that. So they literally went one-on-one -on -one to people talking to them about Ebola. And as they went door to door, people were very receptive to what they were saying? Yes, people were very receptive to what we are saying because they knew them. These are boys in the community. These are boys within the village. They went out, even out of the village, to the other villages all around, spreading the news about Ebola and how it could be prevented. How do you think going from door to door changed the boys themselves? Within a village, you know, there is a community. We think we are one, but within that community, there are tensions. These guys crossing the boundary, family boundaries, to talk to other people there, in as much as there is a community outlook. There is not much relationship between people within the community. So the boys actually going into people's homes actually also changed them because they got to know the people better. They got to spread the news. And most of the people they spoke to actually came to church. It also changed them in terms of their perspective, in terms of what it really means to share the love of Christ. There was a situation where one of these boys went into a home to talk to them and he realized they didn't have food for that day. You see, so he had to give of his own resource to that family. So there were at times where the boys themselves 
had to give, he had to be sacrificial. Yes, the boys and girls and the women uh, have to be sacrificial. They give of their own resources because I think the entire campaign did not cost us more than a thousand. And they had to get motorbikes to get into the villages. They had to walk through rivers and swamps just to get the message out there to the people. So the love of the people, having brought them into this Bible study that redefined who is my neighbor. Do you think that their action saved people's lives? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The whole village, Ebola did not enter India. There was only one case. The case staggered into the village. The person was not part of the village, but it staggered India. And they couldn't get the ambulance to take the fellow to hospital, the guy actually died there. And that's the only case, over 25 and more thousand people. So it was basically Christians being proactive and using the little resources. Their social capital was very critical. This is not about money. The social capital that these are university students, these are teachers who are going into the community to talk to people about this thing. The Christian compassion to say, this is my neighbor. And the whole idea about this is community. I may not get Ebola, but if my neighbor gets Ebola, chances are I will get it. So they are more proactive. They are still using the same methodology, the same strategy, even with this COVID. So it's been five years since the Ebola outbreak was kind of at its peak, maybe six years. How do you think that all of this changed the church in Sierra Leone? At different levels, we have become very sensitive to, to pandemics and the need to listen to authorities. There is the Bible College that has actually designed a program on public health evangelism that came out of Ebola. And so they are now taking the message of Christ on public health. So we are not longer just fighting Ebola. We're now fighting malaria, typhoid, and all of those things couched in the message of public health. That is one way. It also changed our views about suffering. Because when Ebola came in, there was no difference between who is rich, who is poor. It all came in to affect people across the board. So our definition of suffering, our theology of suffering to say we may have sinned because that is why we are suffering or ABCD. We had a, a renewed theology about suffering and also the sovereignty of God. It actually touched on our theology about God and his dealing with us in times of pandemic. It increased the prayer life of people coming back from the time Solomon was dedicated the temple. And God said, when my people sin against me and I send pestilence and pandemics and they come and cry unto me in, at this house, I will hear them. Christian attitude of praying in terms of pandemics and that to say, God said he would do it if we sin. But if we come into his house and pray, he will hear us and forgive us and heal our land. So that changed the outlook of the church. Wow. So there were a lot of theological truths that just became very real to people, right? That they maybe knew on one level, but now they knew because they had lived it out with their lives. You had mentioned that there was bad theology. And I'm just curious if you could get into what were some of the ways that bad theology informed how people understood Ebola? When it first came, the whole idea that it is only the sinner who gets sick from pandemics, it's only God's judgment that would make people poor and that those who are rich have the favor of God. That was a skewed theology. But when Ebola came, we had to rethink about that theology. Does it mean that whoever is dying of Ebola is a sinner? Nope. Rich people were getting Ebola and they were dying. So that took us back to the drawing board to say, what is the place of suffering in God's sovereignty? Then we also have to look at God. Who is God? Is he a cruel God when he brings pandemics to people? Who is he? Can any good person give his children bad gifts? We always think God would give us good things. That was another theology that needed to be readdressed. How, how does God relate to his children? And uh, not only in times of pandemics, but overall, what is God's nature? 
and then coming back to say, well, whatever happens, there is a purpose, and we need to, to be still as children of God to find out what does God want us to do and what is He trying to teach us. So a time for us to really stop and listen to what God is telling us. These are some of the thinking that was actually going around what, that was addressed by Ebola. And then also the, the underworld. Okay, a lot of people believe that spirituality, spiritual prayers, and every other thing that's laying on of hands was enough to have cured Ebola. We do not take the power out of prayers, but it made us to understand that God has also given wisdom to human beings to be able to use that wisdom in very transparent ways for people to see the hand of God. So in as much as the doctors we have given healing, we came to understand the fact that this is actually God's hand. In as much as he would have used the pastor in prayer, he could still use the doctor to administer physical medicine for people to get well. Because we realized that most of those who lived on prayer are not going to, hus to hospitals actually died of Ebola. So I can go on and on and on and say some of this theology of healing, theology of suffering, the power of God would all contribute into making theological system for us to understand suffering. So what would you encourage the church at large today to learn from the example that you just shared with us? One of the things we need to do as a church is to redefine who is my neighbor. I would normally put it who is not my neighbor, because like even in this COVID, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people have left their families, especially in countries where there are lockdowns, and their families are separated. What is the church doing about it? So we must rethink our own strategy and ask the question, as pastors, is my church member the only person that sits in my pew? We need to recast the question, who is not my neighbor, and be able to answer that question view of what Christ would have done. Yes, there is social distancing, but there is no isolation. So we must not let people be isolated in such a way that they don't feel the warmth of Christ. Over the centuries, as we know, Christianity grew out of pandemics, like the first century Christian, the, the plagues that came in, and how that helped the church to grow. So we can actually use this opportunity, through the love of Christ, to reach out to the most fortunate ones. We used to have a lot more television evangelists. I will encourage them to start praying. They could still pray for people, not over the television. Most of these guys are in places where they have access to television. They could send encouraging messages to them through that channel. We as a church should also come together. Let's cross boundaries. This denominationalism, I'm here so that I cannot talk to this person. No, we cannot fight pandemics that way. We need to come in together as a body of Christ and be able to respond to those issues. And we need to have our theologies right. It is not because people have sinned, that is why they are dying. Sometimes, again, God is allowing these things to happen so that we will see his greatness, so that we will see his sovereignty, that he is above all. If God can use a small virus to shut down economies, to shut down nations, to shut down institutions of learning, just a small virus, that says a lot about his sovereignty and what he can do if he wants to do it. So a renewed theology, also how do we do evangelism? We need to come with innovative ways of now doing evangelism and discipleship. How do we reach our people without bringing them together? We really need to do a lot of rethinking about how to live the mission, how to live our vision, how to live the, the great commandment, how to read the great commission amongst our people. And I know it is possible when churches come together in unity. There is nothing we cannot do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. John, thank you so much for this really amazing conversation. Yes, and thank you so much for having me. Here's the latest coronavirus news in the world and church for the week of June 21st. The New York Times recently profiled a priest from the Philippines who has insisted on continuing to visit his congregants during COVID-19 from their recent peace. 
When the Reverend Eduardo Vasquez dresses for work these days, his vestments are as protective as they are holy. His cassock has been replaced by a safety suit, his collar hidden behind an N95 respirator mask. All that identifies him as a priest is his stole, a scarf about two meters long, the perfect length to measure an acceptable social distance. Father Vasquez and others at his church also serve the community by offering food and face masks. The Philippines has had nearly 32,000 cases of coronavirus with around 8,500 deaths. On Tuesday, President Trump held a rally at an Arizona megachurch whose leaders claimed that its air purification system would kill, quote, 99.9% of COVID within 10 minutes. In a video from Dream City Church, its senior pastor and chief operations officer said that the product, Clean Air EXP, would remove the disease's particles from the air. You can know when you come here, you will be safe and protected. Thank God for great technology and thank God for being proactive, said the senior pastor on the video. Ahead of the rally, the church said that it would hand out masks and check the body temperature of attendees before it started. Christianity Today recently reported on a new survey from Data for Progress, a left-leaning think tank. According to their findings, quote, white evangelicals more closely resemble the overall population earlier in the pandemic, but the gap between the two is widening. According to CT's story, the one area where white evangelicals far, far behind? Mask wearing. A white evangelical under the age of 35 is 13 percentage points less likely to wear a mask in public than the same group in the general population, 58.7% versus 71.8%. This may be due to a lower level of concern about coronavirus from younger white evangelicals, as they are nine percentage points less likely to say that they are somewhat or very worried about casting the virus than young people in general. To read the rest of the story and for more coverage on how the church is responding to coronavirus, please visit the link in our show notes. Because of the global nature of this crisis, we believe it's important to hear from our sisters and brothers from around the world. My name is Gabriela. I'm a youth leader in local evangelical church in Zagreb, Croatia. This is my prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for you are a life giver, protector of all who believe in you, our strength and shelter. Thank you that you are with us always, and especially in these hard times of corona pandemic. I pray for all citizens of Croatia and all other citizens of the world who suffered of infection or lost their loved ones. Please give them comfort and your hope and fill their hearts with your peace and confidence. Remind us all of how important it is to put our confidence in you in these times of fear and insecurity, because no matter of all insecurities, we can be sure you are always with us. Give us wisdom to react appropriately and open our hearts and hands for those in need around us. Just like Jesus gave his life for all of us, help us to be ready to sacrifice our comfort for our neighbors. Thank you for all the medical staff who are continually doing that all around the world. Bless them abundantly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Prayer Amid Pandemic is produced by myself, Morgan Lee, along with Matt Linder, Mike Cosper, and Eric Petrick. Music is by Urban Nerd Beats, Prod Ritterman, and Oliver Duvel. Pyramid Pandemic is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please help us spread the word about the show by sharing about it on social media or recommending it to your friends. The best way for you to help is by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. As a reminder, if you'd like to support this show and our ministry, you can do so by subscribing to Christianity Today at orderct.com slash podcasts. If you have feedback, please send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com or on Twitter at ctpodcasts. We'll see you soon.